Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I am happy that you've joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. I'd like for you to turn with me, please, to um, Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. We're continuing through our series. Um, called unshakable hallelujah and we're in exodus chapter number 20 this is the fourth sermon amen how many of us have been blessed so far tell your neighbor god has given me authority and i'm taking it back right now so i can move into my destiny hallelujah amen exodus chapter number 20 hear the word of the lord And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you. May you speak to us, speak to your people. And we come against everything from the kingdom of darkness, that it has no claim, no part, no remembrance over your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our people of authority a people of authority from the very beginning god's plan was that he would have people in the earth that would represent him 
That's why God created human beings in his image and likeness, that they would have dominion, that they would be like him, that they would carry his presence in the earth and bring about his authority in the earth. And so we saw in Genesis chapter number one, Genesis chapter number two, that yes, he created Adam and Eve and he gave them dominion, he gave them authority. But as the human story goes along, you find out that something happens, it's called a fall. The enemy, Satan, has come in into the garden of God and has lied to the man and the woman and has lied to them that they can have authority outside of God's authority. And so came the fall. Those that were the ones to have dominion became dominated. The image of God in humanity became marred, broken. Not totally end of story, but semblance of God there, but still not what we're meant to be. But God being God, God being the gracious God that he is, God still wants his people in the earth and still calls the people to walk with him. In fact, in the story of the Bible, he calls a man called Abraham, and of course that's through Noah, before him through Seth, calls these people so that they can be the people that are the carriers of his authority that can bring about his purposes in the earth. And so we saw the story of Abraham and how God promised to Abraham he's going to give him descendants, going to give him land, and going to make him a blessing to the nations. But the program of God keeps moving on. And now we come to the place where a family is being turned into a nation. A family is being turned into a nation. It's no longer a ragtag army of people that are just related to each other. No, no, no. Now it's a nation. Because you see, God is looking for a people in the earth. And in fact, what God does, He doesn't do just through one person or through just a small group of people. No, God is looking for the whole of creation, the whole of humanity to be a people that carry His authority, that bring about His purposes and bring glory to him see this passage reminds us that God calls a people to give them authority so that they can move into his purposes and here are four traits that characterize a people of authority tell your neighbor four traits that characterize a people of authority. Think of it as four characteristics, four traits, whatever, but four things that we see in this text that show us what a people of authority are about or are meant to be. Number one, they are loyal to God. They are loyal to God because they are God's, they are God's people because God has cut covenant with them. They're God's people because God has cut covenant with them. Turn with me, please, to chapter number 20 of Exodus again, verse 1 and 2. Here's what it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, now you must understand when you come into the book of Exodus, you have come to the place where the children of Israel are moving from Egypt, from their captivity in Egypt, and they're going to the promised land. So just as God had told Abraham that his descendants are going to be in that foreign land for about 400 years or 430 years, that, that time has come. And in fact, now they're moving back into the promised land. And so the first part of the book of Exodus, from chapter number 1 all the way to chapter number 18, is really about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Then from this chapter, in fact chapter number 19, all the way to the end, it's about instructions at Mount Sinai, and then from there, how they ought to be living. See, there is no way you can have a nation come together unless they're united around something. Hallelujah. In fact, the fact that you don't have a people united around something, you don't have a nation. Isn't that the failure of African states? 
that at the time of independence were saying, oh, we want, to be, we want to be independent, we want to be independent, and then we became independent. What did we disintegrate into? Little tribes, little regions, not a nation. So God is in the process of bringing them together, taking them into the promised land, but before that happens, there must be rules of how you conduct yourself. And that's what this is about. Right? And so again, verse number one, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Watch this now. In chapter number 19, when they get to a place called Rephidim, God tells them that, listen, I am the Lord your God. In fact, let's turn there. Previous chapter, chapter number 19, from verse number two. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. They Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out myself. Now therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now I want you to watch. God is basically saying, I'm the one that took you out of your slavery. I'm the one that redeemed you from being a slave in Egypt. And because of that, I lay claim to you. Hallelujah. Because of that, I'm laying claim to you because I'm the one that delivered you. Now, God is making covenant here, and the covenants that would happen in that, in, in that time in the ancient Near East would usually be of a king and his vassals, those that are following him, right? And so the king would lay claim to say, I have done such, such a thing, and so because of that, I expect that this is what you're going to do. Now, I want you to watch this. Israel is not going to be given the law and to live by the law. Uh-uh. Israel is in covenant with God. In fact, God is the one that has initiated this covenant. God is the one that has come to Abraham. God is the one that comes to Moses in the burning bush. Moses was not looking for God. Moses had run away from Egypt. Remember? He had started his ministry too early. Remember that? Killed somebody. He knew he was a deliverer, but he started too early. And so when you start something too early before your time, well, you end up in the wilderness. And so he ends up in the wilderness. While there, that's where God tells him, listen, I have come to deliver my people. I have heard their cry. And so on that basis, he delivers them. He does all these miracles, all these plagues. COVID-19 is not a plague. Amen. Not a plague from God. Because that's what other people are saying. Oh, you know, God is punishing us. No, 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 no. This is not Egypt. This is not old covenant. Uh -uh. But this was stuff that God out there had set out to punish the people of Israel, so uh, the people of Egypt, so that Israel could be delivered. And so there were things, there were plagues that would not happen to Israel. Why? They're his people. It's a punishment that is going to the Egyptians. And so God lays claim. He says, because I'm the one that delivered you from there. Well, here's what you should do. You should keep covenant. That's what he says in verse number five. You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Why? You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. What's this about? God is still looking for people who he, he formed and shaped in the, in the form of Adam and Eve so that they would carry his dominion and authority in the earth. 
And so that's what he's doing. I'm looking for a people, a treasure possession among all the, all, all the people. And he says, for, the, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, that's who you are going to be to me. How are we going to be a kingdom of priests? What's kingdom, by the way? Kingdom is authority. You shall be to me an authority of priests. What do priests do? Priests speak to God on behalf of human beings. Priests, they speak to God on behalf of human beings. Priests are intercessors. So he's basically saying, here's my call to you. I have called you that you would be building the bridge between fallen humanity and me. And of course it's going to be through the Messiah. Of course it's going to be through the fact that God is going to show his ways and show his love to this nation. And from there there's going to be an example and an attraction to all the nations that they would understand the grace of God. See, that's what a Christian is. In fact, that's what Peter says. Peter says that we're a royal priesthood. Once we're not a people, but now we're a people. We're the chosen people of God. Why? Because God wants people in the earth to come at a point of seeing his purposes, seeing his love for them. So Israel, you're a holy nation. You're a separate nation. And those are the words that he's going to speak to the children of Israel. See, covenant starts first. And when covenant comes, God expects there's going to be loyalty on the people that he covenants with. God expects you to be loyal to his purposes. Why? Because he redeemed you from, from, from your Egypt of sin and darkness with a mighty hand. Here it says, I carry you on angel's wings. Do you know, friend, if you're born again, you have been redeemed from your Egypt? But here's the question. Are you loyal? Are you loyal? Ask your neighbor, are you loyal? I want you to watch. Traits, characteristics of a people of authority. One, they are loyal to God. And then number two, they have a love for God. Now what happens next or what God says next after that is what is called the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. A summary of the law. That's what God gives the children of Israel. See, he's not going to have all these people that are living together now as a nation. Probably they're about 3 million to 6 million when they came out of Egypt. And there needs to be a code of conduct. There needs to be a way of understanding how they ought to behave before God. What is the will of God and how they ought to treat each other. That's what makes for a community. That's what makes a society. And so then, God, as he's transitioning them from a family to a nation, here God gives them a summary of God's will. So before they would go, Abraham would go to some altar or have a dream or something like that, God would speak to him like that. Kind of like ad hoc way that, okay, now here's what you, you got to do. Okay, you've come to this state, here's what you got to do. But now you're dealing with a nation, you're not dealing with one man anymore. You're not dealing with a family anymore. And so, you want the nation to know your will. And so the Ten Commandments are a summary of the will of God. They show us the need for grace. 
Why? Well, when you look at the things that are required of those people that are the children of God, of those people that are called to be in covenant with God, you realize that, hmm, we fall short, isn't it? We fall short. And so it shows us, they show us these Ten Commandments, they show us our need for grace. And of course, they show us the standard of behavior God expects of His people. What is the standard of behavior that God expects His people? The Ten Commandments. Oh, but isn't that so Old Testament, so Old Covenant, and so we don't need this anymore? We're in the New Covenant. Wrong. Go and read Matthew chapter number 5. In fact, in chapter number 5 of Matthew, Jesus goes up the mountain. Remember, in chapter number 19, Moses goes up the mountain. When he goes up the mountain, he comes back with the law of God. When Jesus goes up the mountain in Matthew chapter number 5, he sits there, calls his disciples. Then he starts saying, you have heard it written. You have heard it said. And he's quoting the Old Testament. And he actually says, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. No, no, no. I came to fulfill them. In other words, this is the beginning point of Christian behavior, the conduct of a Christian. Ten Commandments. Four, directed towards God. Six, directed towards human beings. In the four that are directed towards God, the teaching is very clear. You must love God. If you are a people of authority, if you're going to move into authority, not only must, be, must you be loyal to God, you must also be a people that love God. And so, the first one, here's what it says. Chapter number 20 of Exodus, verse number 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Why should you not have any other gods before me? Well, number one, I'm the creator God. If I'm the creator, it means that I'm the eternal one. I'm the one that has always existed. So there cannot be anything else that existed apart from me. And so Israel must come at a point of understanding that the idea of God is the idea of creator. He created. And by virtue of create, creating, it means everything else comes after him. So he says, no, you shall not have any other gods before me. I'm your creator. You shall not have any other gods before me. Very clear. Who is the one that delivered you from Egypt? Who is the one that delivered you from your prostitution? Who is the one that delivered you from all your filthiness? Who is the one that did that? It is me. So there's no other God. Now Paul tells us that even the idols that are made by people, they actually are just demons masquerading as gods. There are no other gods. There are no other gods. Now demons are fallen angels and angels are powerful, isn't it? But Israel must understand there is no other God. One God. One God to serve. Not two gods. Not two things. Not all oh, this is number one and then number three is God. Uh-uh. Number one is God. Listen, this is very important. If you don't catch this principle, you will not move authority in authority in your life. This principle is the principle also of the tithe. God is first. The tithe is not the percentage per se. The tithe is the thing that God is first. So you're declaring in your tithe, God is first in my finances. Amen. Anybody who used to be into horoscopes?
the morning newspaper comes, first thing you do, where do you go? What page do you go to? I'm a Scorpio. What's out there for me? You shall have no other gods. You don't go by that. You don't go by that. You go by what God has said, by what God has said about you. So you shall have no other gods. I want you to watch. I want you to watch the first law. You shall have no other gods. And then the other one, the next one says, no idols before me. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, and even today, in, in, in places where people believe in you know, fetishism and people believe in animism, rather, they would make a sculpture or something, a statue of their God. And they would say, they would think actually that that statue is an embodiment of the God. So, because the statue is the embodiment of the God, when you make spells, curse other people, when you make contentions, the things that you want to happen, then you should make it in the presence of that God. And so because you are making it in the presence of the God, in the, in the person of that God, then it means that God can be manipulated to answer you because he is there. God says no. You are not going to have any idols before me. You are not going to have any idols before me. Watch verse number four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, no created thing can look like the creature. No created thing can look like the creature. Five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation and those who, of those who hate me. I want you to watch this now. He's saying, when you do that, you're going to incur my wrath because I am jealous. I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to have people that I have created, people that I have loved, give themselves over to a false God. No, that's not going to happen. And so I'm going to bring about a curse because I love you. See, when somebody loves somebody and they see somebody getting too close to the person that they love and they don't feel jealous, that person doesn't love that somebody. Isn't it? If they truly love that person, they will make sure that uh -uh, there's some, some safe distance somewhere. Hallelujah. There's some, it's not social distance. Relational distance, isn't it? Now, there's some relational distance there. Why? Because you love that person. <laughs> the other day, my wife was telling me that she was on the phone talking to somebody, and, my, and it sounded to me it was a man. And so my son was basically saying, Mom, who are you talking to? <laughs> That's what we're talking about, jealousy. Now watch this. It says, for those that hate him, he brings a curse to the fourth generation, the iniquity to the fourth generation. In other words, those things that the parents or the grandparents have done, great-grandparents have done, they are going to have resulting uh, curses that are going to happen on their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Some things we just learn, isn't it? We just learn them from our environment. Some things, it's almost like we just carry them in the blood because... How is it that this one just acts like his grandfather whom he's never met and his father, he's never been with his father but acts like his grandfather. But he says, for those that love me, watch, 
Verse number six, but showing steadfast love. Steadfast love is that very famous word in, in Kairos, chesed. Somebody say chesed, 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 chesed. It's love that is coming out of covenant. It's not love because of, it's love in spite of, because God has made covenant with you. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Covenant love, steadfast love. And he says, for those that love me, I bring steadfast love to thousands of generations. My version says, to the thousandth, to thousands. But another translation, to thousands of generations. In other words, God's, when you were nearing God's covenant, God is going to ensure that that covenant goes on and on and on. It's beyond you. It's not just about you and your children. It's your children's children. Showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It says, no idols. It says, no other God before me. Don't worship anything else. And I watch what he says third. Verse number seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Oh, don't take his name in vain. The name of a person is actually the person. No, no, before, be, before we got onto this stuff, this Western stuff where you name somebody because of how nice their name sounds. What's your name? Uh, Felix, why? Well, I love Felix. Mm -mm, there must be something deeper. My name has a meaning. It means fortunate. I hope my dad, when he called me that, he, he was saying, you're one fortunate, blessed guy. I hope so. Even if he did, but that's what I've claimed. That's my person. But you see, the name of a person, I mean, the name of a person, yes, is not just a, a badge of, of identity. No, 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 no. It represents the aspirations of that person. That's why in traditional African culture, you are given a name by your parents when you're born. And then at some point in time, probably when you turn 12 or 13, you change your name. Why? Well, I don't like being called Mavuto or Trouble. No, I'm not Trouble. What's your name now? Favor. Why? Well, I'm favored by God. That's the aspiration of that person, isn't it? So a name as well must be understood as is the person. And God, when he comes to Moses in chapter number three, he tells him, listen, my name is I am who I am. I'm Jehovah. He says, by this name I was not known before, but I'm revealing this name to you. Because I want to get into a relationship with you. I want you to know me for who I really am or who I have revealed myself to be to you. And so he says, do not take that name in vain. And here, of course, it's talking about oath-breaking. That you take an oath in the name of the Lord, but then you turn around and you break it. Don't take it in vain. In fact, Jesus says, listen, uh, just let your yes be yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Remember the controversy we had some three, four weeks ago when the attorney general refused to pick up a Bible? Could it be, just let your yes be yes, don't swear by anything in heaven or on earth? I don't know. But what's this about? When you make an oath, don't break it. You doctors make an oath. Hippocratic oath. To preserve life. Don't Take it, don't take that oath in vain. 
And so this is not really against don't take an oath, but really don't break the oath. Imagine what kind of society we would be if people did as they said. What kind of society would we be if the bank knew that if, you, if they borrow money from, if, if they borrow you money, if they lend you money, that you're going to return the money on time? The, the banks would lend more money to you. But they're not sure. They're not sure. If we give you, if you're even going to give us back. You heard about the Meredith loans. Seven billion quachas loaned out to people or something like that. And they just don't know where the money is. People are not returning it. And I'm sure many of them go to church. Say shame on them. What is taking his name in vain? It's misusing God's name. Disconnecting the name of God from his presence. Disconnecting the name of God from his power. Disconnecting the name of God from his person. In other words, you are taking the name of God to, and attaching it to things that are unholy. Taking the name of God in vain. And here's another one. He says, keep the Sabbath. Look at verse number 11. I'm sorry, verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Now, if you never thought there's a connection between your work and your worship, it's right here. What, what, why did Adam get into trouble? He disobeyed, isn't it? He disobeyed what God had explicitly told him. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Here, there's a call to obedience. Obey the fact that the seventh day, the Sabbath, is a day of rest. Six days God worked. The seventh day God rested. Did God need to rest? No. No, he's eternal. Eternal means there's, there's no lack in him. Ah, some foolish people actually think, oh no, but you should praise God. God wants to be praised. God needs to be praised. He doesn't need to be praised. He doesn't need anything. God didn't need to rest. Why did he rest? For you, for me. Why? Because sometimes we get so caught up in wanting to get things. We want to work and work and work and work and work. Sometimes we're just lazy. We don't work. And so when the deadline comes, we're busy working. Or sometimes we just take too much on ourselves. We work, 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 work. He says, no, no. On the seventh day, he rested. So keep the Sabbath holy. To take a day off not to work, you are keeping it holy. In other words, you are worshiping. Amen. Worship is not just when you put up your hands. Worship is the way you live your life. When you work, work as unto God and not as unto man. When you rest, rest as unto God and not as unto man. In other words, what do you do on this day? You rest, but you also make the time to spend in the presence of God. You also make the time to serve God. See, this 8 o'clock service is not so that you can come here, do you know, mark somewhere I went to church and then go back and do your business. 
Uh, you're missing it. Tell your neighbor you're missing it. No, this is because in verse number 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what did God do to the Sabbath day? He blessed it. He blessed it. In other words, there is a blessing that comes from Hallelujah. There's a blessing that comes from keeping the Sabbath. I remember Brother Nyasha told me some time back that, you know, when he says first time that he came here, he was going to work, right? going to open the shop and hear some music and stuff. So he decided, okay, let me come to church. That's how he started coming. And then along the way, he starts hearing, no, 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 don't work on the Sabbath. In fact, if you, if you rest on, if you have a Sabbath day, God is going to, to supply enough in the six days so that on the Sabbath day you can rest. And it has happened. He doesn't open on Sunday. May I ask you, don't work on Sunday. Don't work on Sunday, unless you're a doctor. Unless you are in the, you're working in the kitchen, and so it's your, it's your turn to cook over, over Sunday. Okay, but do not rest. I mean, do, do not work on that day. Take a rest. There's a blessing that comes with it. In Deuteronomy, actually God says, you should take the Sabbath because God rescued you with a mighty hand. In other words, because you're a Christian, you are meant to be doing this because of God's salvation. You are meant to... Make this Sabbath holy. Tell your neighbor, don't work today. It says, don't work today unless you're a doctor. Now, I want you to watch again four characteristics, four traits of a people of authority. One, they are loyal to God. Two, they have a love for God. And then number three, they have a love for people. God's people love others. Isn't it sad? Those that seem to hold on to pure Bible doctrine as they think of it, they're the most hateful too, isn't it? Sometimes it, it, it works itself like that. Though Those that say, no, we're conservative. We're going to look at this word exactly the same way that it was meant to be looked at. And we will make sure that we, 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 we keep to what the word says. Oh, have been some of the most hateful racist people. You're right here in South Africa, apartheid South Africa. When South Africa, you know, became, took on the, the system of apartheid, separatehood, literally, that's what it means. Well, the presidents that were there were theologians, people like D.F. Malan, theologians from the University of Stellenbosch, very learned in the Word of God. I'm sure very sound in their... In their, in their exegesis or their dividing of the word of truth. God is not just about you loving God. In fact, if you love God, you're going to love people. So he tells them, here's how I want you to live. Number one, you make me first, you love me. But then number two, I want you to love other people. And so look with me, verse number 12 there. He says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So honor your father and your mother. Listen, the family, the family is the basic unit of society. You can never have somebody that is rebellious in the family and then you take him into your company, you employ them, they are not going to be rebellious. Impossible. 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 They will be rebellious there. They're going to be rebellious there. God understands. If society is going to change, society must start from the family. 
And so you must honor your father and your mother. You must respect them. Why? Because they are your father and your mother. The first basic authority you have in your life, father and mother. You're rebellious to that, you're going to be rebellious in society. And actually, it says in Deuteronomy that if there is a child, if your son does not want to listen to you, and he, he does all the things that are rebellious, and you're done with him, you just don't know what else that you're going to do. It says you should take him to the gate, and then the elders are going to have a rock concert on him. They'll throw rocks and he'll die. Kill him. That's how serious this is. Father, mother, you and I are shaping society. If we have a society of thieves out there, and this is a society of thieves, right? I mean, it's a society of thieves. If you've been reading the news, the, 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 if you've been listening to the news, reading the newspapers the past three, four weeks, you've been hearing four billion kwacha here, 800 million kwacha there, and this and this, and people are getting arrested left, right, and center. Why? Because money was stolen. Where does that come from? Down here, family. He says, honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land. Now, of all the laws that have come up until now, there's no one that pretty much has, has this blessing, has a blessing, that you may live long in the land. You honor your mother and father, you live long in the land. Your mother and father are also the authority figures God sets in your life. Your teacher is your mother and father. Your boss is your mother and father. Honor them. Now, if they make you to sin, you shouldn't honor them. You shouldn't honor that. No, God will still hold you accountable. In other words, there's a limit to the obedience to authority. When authority requires us to sin, it ceases to be an authority that we should obey. Even when the government requires us to sin, it ceases to be the point at which we obey government. So he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving to you. How do you honor your mother and your father? Well, you respect them. You also care for them in their old age, isn't it? And that's what life is. When you're little, they took care of you, isn't it? When they get old and they don't have that much strength, and sometimes acting like they're little, you take care of them. That's honoring them. What if we were a society that took care of our elderly? We would thrive, isn't it? We'll thrive. This is the making of a thriving society. And he says, you shall not murder, verse number 13. You shall not murder, and, and, and very simple there. Why shouldn't you murder? Well, because human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. Right? They're made in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis chapter number 9, in verse number 6, God says that whoever kills a man, by a man shall he be killed. Meaning to say, human life is very prized by God. That the taking of that human life illegally by murdering, that taking of that human life requires the taking of the human life that took it. In other words, value life. When it comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter number 5, when he's saying, when, when he's talking about this law, he says, look, uh, it's, it's, it's not just about the act. 
God is not just concerned about the act. He's, uh, he, he, he is concerned about the attitude, the anger. He says, if you're angry with your brother, <laughs> that is the beginning of, of, of murder. In fact, you have murdered him. You see how in the New Testament, we go beyond just the action. We come to the motivation for it. If you love your neighbor, would you say bad things about them? Grudges, keeping grudges, not resolving issues. This is the stuff of hatreds. That's the stuff of murder, in other words. I mean, this calls for us to be a society that wants truthfulness, isn't it? You know, you wronged me when you said such, such a thing. I felt betrayed when you said such such a thing. I, 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 I felt you exposed me and stuff like that. I, I just want to tell you I wasn't happy with that. Oh no, it was just a joke. I didn't know. Well, now you know. Don't make a joke like that again. But you know our problem? We are not truthful with each other. And so we're always busy smiling. Because we think it's a Christian thing to do. It's not Christian. The Christian thing to do is to tell the truth. Tell them, listen, I don't do that. Sorry. Let them know. And it's not like I'm saying this because I hate you. Because I want our relationship to grow. You shall not murder. It says don't commit sexual adultery. Don't commit adultery rather. You shall not commit adultery. God's plan is for one man, one woman in a covenantal relationship. That's the way he created us. Remember the purposes of God. Remember what he told Adam and Eve. Fill the earth and multiply it. Isn't it? Do you think Adam and Steve can fill the earth and multiply? No. So in God's way, no matter what your culture thinks, no matter what everybody thinks, no matter whether you know, somebody thinks, well, it's not really about what the Bible says. It's where the culture is right now. Uh-uh. This Bible, as far as God is concerned, the original plan is one man, one woman in a covenantal relationship. In other words, it's not one man and three women. Or one woman and three men. Uh-uh. One man, one woman. Anything outside of that is committing adultery. Amen. And Jesus always raises the, the standard, isn't it? He says, if you so much as look at a woman lustfully... Sure, if he was living in a day where there was gender-inclusive language, you'll have also said, if you look at a, at, a, at a man lustfully, you have committed adultery. Why? Because adultery is not just the act. Adultery starts from the inside. It's the thinking. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look at a girl lustfully. Made a covenant. I told my eyes I don't look, like, I don't look at stuff like that. Some of you people need to learn to just look away. Hey, you see some men, a woman is walking by and they follow. I hope it's not you. I hope it's not you today in Kairos, you watching, I hope it's not you. So I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look at a girl lastfully, that's what he said. Because at the heart of that last is adultery. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Then he says, don't steal. Don't steal. 
Verse number 15. You shall not steal. I didn't break into anybody's house. Uh-uh. But you know there's the borrowing thief. Everyone, do, you know, do you know of a borrowing thief? Have you ever been a borrowing thief? Oh, it's always those people, never you, right? So you borrow, you don't give up. You don't give back. That's a form of taking, isn't it? That's a form of stealing, right? And uh, we should respect each other's property. Do you know that sometimes thieving is because of laziness? You want to steal that which you don't have. You want to have something that maybe you can't even afford. So what you should be doing is working so that you can afford that thing. And that's what Paul says. He says, the one that steals, let him who steal, steal no longer. But rather give to those that are needy. Don't steal. Oh, don't covet. Verse number 17. Let's go there. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Oh, I'm sorry, I've missed verse number 16. Uh, don't bear false witness. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Shh, that one. How come when the neighbor has this luxury, now it becomes a necessity? Before the neighbor had it, it, it was okay. But the moment the neighbor has it, hey, you must get it too. A heart of jealousy, isn't it? A heart of not being contented says, no, you shall not bear witness. You shall not, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. Let your yes be yes. How many of us are going to come next, next Friday for an hour of prayer? Put your hands up. People put their hands up. Friday night comes. Oh, it's just the stuff. You lied. You lied. You lied, you lied. No, but it's just a small thing. It's a lie. Do you know that is costing us as a society? Very few of us will borrow each other money because we lie. And look at the last one. So it says, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. No materialism here. Verse number 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's or his cell phone or his car. What's to covet? To want that thing. See, it's, it's one thing if I look at your phone and I'm inspired. Wow, I, I like the phone. That's, that's a good phone. You know? I think when I'm going to have money, I'm going to buy a phone like that. I'm not coveting. Coveting is when I say, I want that phone. And I'm going to do anything in my power to get that phone. So I'll say all sorts of things about you because I want to get on your position. So I'll tell the boss that you're not doing your work. I'll snitch on you. I'll do all sorts of things because I don't want you on that position. I want me to be on that position. Coveting. Where's the heart? Of that where is it coming from a materialism see when when idolatry is when you put things above God is when you don't when you don't have those things you feel less when you don't dress a particular way you feel less 
When you don't have a car, you feel less. When you're walking, you feel less. When you're doing all these things, you feel less. Watch out. That could just be a heart of materialism. Now, nothing wrong with the car, nothing wrong with the phone, nothing wrong with clothes. But if the acquisition of those things, the getting of those things, become what you're about, we're in big trouble. And do you know, we've baptized greed in the church, in the Pentecostal church, the charismatic church. We've called it prosperity. Oh, get things, get things, get things. Oh, I'm blessed. You know, you know what blessed means? I have things. They never say, I'm blessed with peace right now. Though things are upside down, though my, I don't have a job, though, but I, I have this peace that passes all understanding. I'm blessed. They never mean that. When they say, I'm blessed, somebody's given them money, somebody's given them something. No. See, you can never build a society on materialism. You can never build a society on materialism. You can never advance a civilization on just materialism, on the acquisition of things. We will all be thieves. Or is it we've all become thieves? You shall not cover your neighbor's house. And some people, they cover their neighbor's servant. I know you can come and work for me. How much do they give you? How much do they give you? I can give you more. Because, you know, you're not appreciated there. We'll appreciate you. Do you know when you do stuff like that? What you are sowing, you're going to reap. You find that person is going to run to somebody else too. And then what you're going to say? Oh, these people are not just loyal. <laughs> They're very loyal. They're doing exactly your, lo your loyalty. Tell your neighbor, life is not about stuff. Tell your neighbor, people are more important than things. Now, here's the thing about what I'm talking about. It's not that exciting stuff. It's not that stuff you say, I receive, I receive, I receive. You get it? But that's where you live your life. See, don't mistake the high moments or the mountaintop experience to the valley. Where do you live? You live in the valley. You don't live on the mountaintop, isn't it? And that's what your spiritual, your, 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 your spiritual life is about. Yes, you have mountaintop experiences, but you are living down here in the valley. And so you need to know the way that you can live down here. So these Ten Commandments are the things that help us to understand. Down here, this is how I live. If you don't live like this, you're going to be in trouble. Somebody came to me the other day, I was praying, and he said, Listen, I, 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 I need God to connect me. What do you mean? I, I've just been going through all this stuff since two years ago. I've never really had a job. Things have not worked out for me. And so I, I just feel like God should just connect me because I walked all the way from Area 49 to get here. So I was like, uh, because I know I call this mountaintop Christianity. They're just looking for things, for miracles. Eh? They shouldn't work. So I started asking. Oh, no, my job went like this, like that. Okay. And at the end of the day, you start realizing, you know what? This person is not living this. If you live this, this is how you get blessed, church. All these other things are just extra things. 
The way that God wants you and I to live, the way he's going to bless us is when we live by these things. Last trait, last characteristic of our people of authority. They listen to God. God's people listen and obey God. Now I want you to watch. Verse number 22. Sorry, verse number 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off. So you can just imagine thunder, lightning, earthquake. Have you been in an earthquake? Probably here it's earth tremors, right? I mean, I don't think we've ever had anything as high as a six on the Richter scale. It's usually four or something. It shakes for 30 seconds or so, you know, and you feel like, <sighs> I don't know about you, but for the next three, four days, every time I feel like I'm shaking, I'm holding onto the wall because I'm thinking, maybe it's that thing that's come back again. That's what these people experienced. They experienced the presence of God. There was the shaking, there was the, the thunder, there was the lightning, and they came at a point and said, Moses, 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 please, you talk to God. We don't want to talk to God, we're scared. And then some of you say, oh, just come, Holy Spirit, you. <laughs> you would run away. <laughs> you would run away if he really came. So he has come in the place, and he says, they say, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So Moses assures them, he said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not see. How did you get into this trouble? How did Adam and Eve get into the trouble? They did not fear, so they sinned. Do you know some of us are in trouble right now because the fear of God is not on us anymore? Some of us are in trouble right now. We're not able to move forward. We're not able to walk in the authority that God has for us because there is no fear of God anymore. Oh, and especially at Kairos, we talk about grace, man. God will understand. Uh-uh. God is in covenant with you and God expects that you would do your part. The reason he saved you is so that you can advance his purposes in the earth. The reason he has set you in the church is that you can be part of his mission of taking this gospel to the rest of the world, around us, in your neighborhood, everywhere where he has planted you. That's what this is about. And so if you do not listen, if you're not going to do what God clearly has said to you to do. Hey, if you've been at Kairos, you know what God expects of you. It's just that you refuse it. It's just that you refuse it. But here it is. God is saying, or Moses is saying, God is just bringing this fear to you that you would learn not to sin. Because if there's no fear in you, you usually gravitate towards doing the things that God has said that you shouldn't do. I like what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter number 12. Let's go there and we'll finish up with that. Look at verse number 18. And here Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is speaking of the situation actually in Exodus chapter number 20. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet 
And the voice whose words met the hearers begged that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, now watch this, the New Testament believer. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He says, that's where you've come to. You thought Sinai was scary? No, no, this is so much better than, than Sinai. It, it's, it's, it's more scary than that. You have come to God himself. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. To the spirits of just men made perfect. You have come to the ultimate place in Christ. So how should you react? Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if, it, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates a removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Watch that. What should we do? Let's bring acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. When we come to worship, with reverence, with awe. When we live our lives where we do the majority of our worship with reverence and with awe. Why? Our God is a consuming fire. Oh no, he used to do that in the Old Testament. This is New Testament, my friend. Our God is a consuming fire. May you not be shut down because you don't have awe and reverence. I mean, God has clearly said to you, Sundays you're supposed to be in church, come on. God has clearly said to you, you should not lie. God has clearly stated the way that you ought to be living. He has clearly stated it. The problem is not on God's side. The problem is on your side. The authority that you're lacking to move into the destiny that God has for you, it's not on God's end. It's actually on your end. Because you have not taken seriously the way that God wants you to live your life. When you start taking seriously the way that God wants you to live your life, you will start seeing the authority coming upon your life. And friend, listen, this is something we do as a community. You don't do this by yourself. There must be other people that tell you, but you're lying. In fact, you must celebrate when other people tell you that's wrong. Why? Because they're helping you not to sin. Because when you sin, you'll lose your authority. You won't move into the destiny that God has for you. Oh, may God restore destinies today. May God restore destinies today. May today be the day that you say, Lord Jesus Christ, today I repent. Some of you think repentance is for people that are sinners. No, repentance is for people in the church. People that know what they should do and they don't do it. They must repent. That's humility. 
Amen. Do you know this church is not really supposed to be this small, right? You do realize that. If the gifts and the, and the, and the talents that are here were to be faithful enough as unto God. Because some of you look at me, that's your problem. You look at me and my attitude. You say, oh, but you know. God will still keep you accountable. It's not about me. If you have issues with me, come. Pastor, you know, you, you are big-headed. I'll listen. You should change that thing. Da, 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 da. I will listen. Amen. But we are not moving forward because you are not moving forward. Does God bless you by what you do here? Yes. Will God bless you, your work, your whatever that you do, by your faithfulness here? Yes. So far, you, you have blessed yourself. Amen. So far, you've blessed yourself with your trying to do your thing and your way. God wants you to get to the place where, he, he, where you can get into those things because he has blessed you. Tell your neighbor, you haven't seen the blessing of God yet. Oh yeah, because God wants to give you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ever ask or imagine, according to the power that works in him. But friend, if you're not faithful to God, if you're not going to be loyal to God, if you don't love God, if you don't love people, if you don't listen to God, how will you move into that? It's just going to be a pipe dream. We want to end that today. In Jesus' mighty name, let's stand. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.